Greetings, good folks, and Spiceyba, which apparently is thank you in Russian. I've heard it more than once. Spiceyba. Isn't it Spasibo? Maybe that's it. Anyway, they say I online. Could, I could be wrong. The pronunciation is Spiceyba. <laughs> I was going to say something really stupid about you being a spicy bra, but I'm very happy I interrupted your intro just to say that. <laughs> and thank you for gobbling up the 40th, I said 40th edition of Scoring at the Movies, the every second Thursday sports movie podcast. We better warn you now that we spoil motion pictures, although, if you're any kind of sports fan, you certainly know what happens at the end of this one. Although this man had never seen this movie before. Nope. And I did not know that until he just told me. I'm the guy who does believe in unlikelihoods. Yes! <laughs> That's a quote, of course, from... Do you believe in unlikelihood? Dodgeball. Dodgeball. <laughs> Ryan Elisov. And here's the man whose legs feed the wolf and who doesn't play for the United States of America. Chris DeGregoriov. DeGregoriov. I do have the eyebrows of Tikhonov, so that's one thing that's going to my favor. Since you had but, never seen this movie before, did you recognize that reference of the a play for the United States of America? I've watched that scene on YouTube 20 times over the years. I really like that one. I don't know why. I really love that scene, though. Your reference right now? Yeah, the Mike Ruzioni thing. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. they're doing the lines. They called them the Herbies. He made them do that, for real. They had a tie against Norway, I think it was, and a qualifier. Well, they all qualified for the Olympics, but some yeah. kind of pre-Olympics game. They had quite they played a... like shit. They were talking about the girls in the front row they could see on the other side of the ice. And Herb said, you want to take this seriously? You're going to take it seriously now. And they were there for a long time. All of that apparently is real. And how it actually ended, though, apparently, was one of the players, maybe Mark Johnson, who's a star in the game we're going to talk about, but anyway, one of them smashed his stick on the glass, and maybe that's when Herb realized, again, enough is enough. But in the movie, it's the whole point, and I like how it started up earlier on. Who do you play for? We see this as a bit of a montage, and they always say, I play for Boston College, or I play for wherever they are. Most yeah. of the players are from Boston and the Minnesota area, and we talked about that on probably Goon or Slapshot or something like that. Hockey hotbeds in America, those are two big ones. Maybe not quite the same degree that it is in Canada and some of the yeah. European and Russia with hockey, but Boston and Minnesota still love their hockey. Particularly in 1979. I think it's fair to say that the sport has grown pretty immensely over the last 20 years or so in America in areas that weren't traditional hockey hotbeds. Is like, it fair to say that? I think it is, yeah. It's quite popular in California now. That's 40 years. You said 20 years. It's 40 years now. No, I know, but I think from the period of about 1980 through the 90s, I don't know that that was necessarily true. Okay. I think since then, it's become more so that areas like Nashville and California and parts of Texas, they become very into the game. Or St. Louis recently just won the Stanley Cup. Right. I'm sure that's going to have an influence one of the memories, the vivid memories I have growing up in my early hockey fandom in the early 90s, and I'm sure a lot of people that are hockey fans that are my age or older remember this too, is some of the pathetic attempts that were made by the NHL and by Fox, who had the broadcast rights to the States back in those early 90s days, to try to make it more entertaining or more understandable for American hockey fans. Big glowing like, puck. Big glowing puck is the best and worst example of that. It was so distracting. I'd always follow the trail and I'd see somebody score... Well, it was a beautiful goal. They'd roof it, and you'd yeah. think, oh, it's in the net. Okay. I'm still watching the trail, and the puck's already in the net. It's and falling half on the ice. delayed. You can't quite follow it. But they actually revived that. They did a game intentionally last year where they brought back oh, the right. going puck just for the nostalgic value of it. I don't know about you, but I had a, a definitive top three moments in this movie. One of them I just gave you. The Herbies. Yeah, the Herbies. Love that scene. It wasn't one of my top three, I will okay. say. Your top three are then... Okay, in reverse order, my top three are the speech that Herb Brooks gives to the team before the USSR game. One of the five or ten best get players up speeches in the history of sports, I'd say. And I love it because it capitalized on the messaging that he gave throughout the movie. You're never going to be the best team out there. And this is why I think sports are kind of great and why things like the NCAA March Madness Tournament or, hell, the NFL playoffs are so interesting because any team has a chance to win one game if you just have the game of your life. And the fact that he said, hell, if we played the Soviets 10 times, they'd probably be us nine, but not today. Mm -hmm. That perfectly encapsulates the David versus Goliath 
we can still be the champions even if we aren't the best or even probably the third best team in this tournament. That might be the fourth, fifth, or sixth best team, but we're going to win gold because we're going to be the best team on the ice today. And you watched the game like I did on YouTube. I did, yeah. So I can do the thing you often do, which is the, well, actually, <laughs> well, well actually, they got it mostly right. <laughs> but did. one thing I really noticed in finishing this morning, so I saw the game in stages over the course of the last couple of days, is that Russia was a better team. They Easily. Were. The they Americans were. got a little lucky. They only had some like 16 shots and they scored four goals. And they alternated the goals too. Russia scored first, then America tied it. Then Russia, then America, then Russia got up to 3-2 and then America scored the two that gave them the lead. But the Russians had the puck in the Americans end way more than the Americans did. The Americans never yeah. really dominated at any point. When they're on the power play, sure. But Russia was the better team in that game. I agree. And, and they it, played sloppy. Trechak got pulled. Trechak, and you can see why. Yeah. He was not good on the two goals they allowed. Well, the second one, because it was a big rebound. He was beaten by Mark Johnson who made a good move on him. But he wasn't good in those two goals. I agree. And Jim Craig, the other goalie, the American goalie, was very good in the whole game. He was the best player on the ice, probably. Certainly the best for the Americans. I got a good laugh at watching that footage from the 1980 game because it's such a different game. And especially the goaltending. This is still the Grant Fuhrer. Well, not Grant Fuhrer. I guess it would be more mid-80s. Ron Hextall, maybe. Yeah, that was before his time, too. Billy mm -hmm. Smith, probably. Billy Smith is probably better. Okay. The stand-up, kick throw your arm out, try to catch the puck kind of era of Awful padding, barely enough padding yeah. to protect you from a hard shot. Long before the butterfly, huge padding kind of era that we see now. It was an interesting game to watch for that reason, to see whether it was true to the movie. And like you said, I think they got most of the important stuff right, even if they overplayed the dominance of the American team relative to the Soviet. The Russians don't play as physical as what's shown. Maybe it's more so the qualifying game, or again, qualifying, but an earlier game where they got waxed, the Americans yeah. did 10-3 at MSG. And apparently Jim Craig was left in for all 10 goals, according mm. to the dialogue of the movie. What coach, you're down 6-1 or 6 nothing in the second period, and you just, well, but you're just going to own this one, Jim Give, Jan give Janicek some action. He could have probably used yeah. it. He didn't play a minute of the Olympics. That's what, the backup that's goalie. what got Patrick Waugh out of Montreal, is when they that's left right. him in for, I think, all nine goals in one game, and he just told the coach... I'm done. I'm out. You could see it. They you showed embarrassed it me. in the yeah. time. They showed it on the camera where he walks over. If you could read lips, I forget what the specific words are. It may have been in French, too, because I think the coach was French. It may have been Réjean Ou. It was something like Tabernac, Alice. <laughs> but he was saying, I played my last game with the Montreal Canadiens, and they traded him to Colorado and then went on to win Stanley Cups, or at least one with yeah, Wall. One, two with Wall. So what's your second and then third favorite moment? Oh, yeah. So the second favorite moment is the line that Al Michaels has leading into the coverage of that game against the actual. Sorry, I keep saying the game against the Soviets. I'm talking about the medal round game, not okay. the exhibition game the miracle game the miracle game he's talking about the sold out crowd and how most of them might not know a blue line from a clothesline but yeah. that doesn't matter because we're all strange here. line it it's matters great, it's a great line though because it's so true the number of people in america that properly understood the rules of hockey are okay like, how fair. slim. that right? actually represents the whole olympics because it always bothers me when people get into that for the two weeks olympics happens whether the the winter or the summer yeah. and they're all into these sports that they don't give any kind of shit about the rest of their lives for three and a half years i'm into pole vault or i'm into downhill skiing that actually i can understand a little but more but all these other obscure sports speed skating does anybody watch that other than one of the olympics no of course not it's like, so it's a little bit of bandwagon jumping well it's all bandwagon jumping i think that's pretty much the entirety of olympic okay, yeah. or amateur USA. Sport. yeah you, they say it in the movie and they say it in the actual reality of the game yeah it has nothing to do with the sport itself it has everything to do with the nationalism behind the sport and yes. rooting for your team and luckily enough the russians didn't boycott because there was talk of that and they portrayed well, that in course. the movie yeah of course it would have been in 1980 what's your third moment third moment was the shot of Tikhonov, the Russian... I'm going to say Russian a lot instead of Soviet, just because... I'll do it too, it's fine. I'm used to People it. People know what we're talking about, yeah. I think. But anyway, Tikhonov standing on the bench, and I think it's when he was down 4-3 in the last 10 minutes of the game, and there's a shot of him, and he's just sweaty and nervous looking, and he's sort of wiping his eyebrows back into place nervously. The pull-up is going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the expression on his face and that one little movement of i got to get my eyebrows back in place just made me laugh. So you like the little so, details. Okay, and I, like I really the like the little grand details. Scene. And of course, when they actually win, is pretty cool. And they recreate the moment where he does say, do you believe in miracles? Yes! Yes! And they actually used Al Michaels' voice from that because I think he and Ken Dryden, who's so dull, but I think they both did voiceover work for the movie itself. But when it gets to the, do you believe in miracles? Yes line. You hear the audio go from the way it sounds in the movie the whole time. Really well-made movie in every way. Audio is fine. But then you hear it taper off. It sounds a little worse, a little worse, a little worse. Because it gets into the 1980s recording. Because apparently Gavin O'Connor, the director, who did a great job with this movie, he wanted to get the emotion that Al Michaels had then. He would never be able to recapture that. That's what he thought, and he's probably right. That makes a lot of sense. And it does make sense then that it went from that full digital audio quality down to listening to the recording of the, AM radio, of like. the Apollo missions landing yeah. on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in miracles? Yes. <laughs> really, really analog. 
All right, we've gone a long way here. We haven't talked about your beer yet, which you've got chilling in that frosty mug. Well, it's about half gone at this point. Yeah, I really that's why you didn't crack it open, everybody. What yeah. is it over there, though? Locker room lager. I mostly bought it for the visuals of the hockey sweater on the can, oh, which okay. is fantastic for any audio medium. Red, white, and blue with a little bit of gold as well. Yeah. And that makes sense because they have won the gold. That's another thing about this movie I had to look up, and I realized Al Michaels and Ken Dryden. Dryden is the color guy, but Michaels even. Very repetitive in this. And maybe because, unlike now, there's no graphics on the screen. Right. Pretty much ever. I don't think they ever have a 2-1 score or something like that on the screen the way you always see it now. And they show the clock when it really matters, especially counting down at the end of probably penalties, but certainly at the end of periods. Yeah, it just flashes up periodically and yeah. disappears again. But otherwise, it's just the action. And of course, as we talked on other podcasts back in these days, there's nothing really even on the boards. Maybe more so in the Olympics, that would be the way it is. But even the NHL games, you didn't see advertisements on the boards. If you did, it was very few, not covered like it is now. Yeah, at this point in time, it would have been another probably 15 or 20 years before you started seeing the kinds of ads popping up on boards. Even yeah. watching the early 90s games, it was very white canvas. Yeah. But Michaels is repetitive about a lot of things. And I'm actually glad he explained this later on. Again, in reality here, the actual game I watched on YouTube. I didn't understand when I looked online why it says America won the gold and Russia won silver and maybe Sweden won the bronze because when the Americans beat the Russians, they should be playing for gold against Finland the next yep. game because they barely showed that in this movie because no one really cared about that so much. Had they not won the gold, I don't think anyone really, really cared. They beat the Soviets. The gold was almost a bonus at that point. The movie portrays this like an aftermath thing. Yeah, we won the gold too, but we beat the Soviets. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's kind of a round robin thing where it's total points. And Al Michaels talks about that a lot in the last few minutes of the game and the real game. If they win, meaning the Americans win, then their fate's in their own hands. If they lost the Finns, I think they still could have maybe been out of the gold medal situation. But that's why when they played the Finns, it wasn't the Finns that got the silver. The Finns were rather running all together. They ended up finishing fourth, I guess. I think it was the Swedes that got the bronze, and the Soviets beat the Swedes. Anyway, whatever it was, that's why the Soviets got a silver medal and the Americans got the gold. The quote-unquote medal round was not like it is today. You play each other in the semifinals, and then the two winners of the semifinals play each other in the final game for the gold. It was a round-robin tournament, and the standings at the end of that tournament determined who got gold, silver, and bronze. So this was the second-last game. And it is a weird thing when you think about it, because like you said, they go through the glory of the victory over the Soviets, and everybody's embracing on the ice. And then the voiceover of Kurt Russell saying... And then we won the gold two days later. <laughs> the reality of the game against Finland, too, was also pretty dramatic because the Americans were losing 2 Again. Again, going into the third period. And I think Herb Brooks had another famous... Uh, Did you become French there? Herb Brooks? Drop Her- your H? Herb. <laughs> Is it not Herb? Is it Herb? Herb. 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 Okay. Herb. With the Kurt Russell <laughs> accent. A lot of people took issue with his wonky accent. He's from Minnesota, but he's not sound like that hecky mean kind of guy. <laughs> he's not a Fargo character? Not at all. Yeah, what was I saying? Something about... Oh, the Herb speech. Brooks. Herb gave another intermission speech where he basically told the guys, if you lose this fucking game, you're going to take it to your fucking graves kind <laughs> really? of thing. I didn't read like, that. Like, wow, that's intense, Herb. It's a shame that they didn't cover that, but you can understand why, because they've spent so much time building up the Soviets. This is an yes. unstoppable hockey machine. It would have been better if they played the Soviets in the gold medal game for the sake of drama, and that's pretty much what they made this movie. It's almost like, yeah. that wasn't the reality. Well, then we'll just make the other thing an aftermath, an afterthought. Right. Because they could have been out of the medal rounds, I think, altogether if they lost the Finns. And I guess they maybe go by total goals and stuff. The Russians, Soviets, had scored so many goals in the previous games. That's one reason why I think they got the silver. They had the crushing lead. They were averaging 10 goals a game in the games before this one. You can understand why if you watch the actual footage of it. And this is, I think, part because it is the Olympics. It's international hockey. It's a lot of amateur athletes at this game. But it's also indicative of the style of hockey in the 70s and 80s. Incidentally, it's all amateur athletes at this point in the game. You said a lot of, but it's all. That's something that changed. And that's another part of the Kurt Russell voiceover at the end. They let pros play. But now everyone's got these dream teams and no one knows how to dream anymore. That's kind of a depressing sentiment. You don't think that professional athletes still dream of representing their country? Mario Lemieux's back was in shreds and he played in 2002 because he wanted to win a gold more than anything. If somebody said to him, play for Pittsburgh one more year, maybe even play for somebody on the team that has a real good shot at winning the Stanley Cup, one more cup for you, Mario, or play for the Olympic team. If he had to choose, I bet you would have chose the Olympic team. He's not the only one that has done stuff like that. And also in this movie, we see Jack O'Callaghan's knee be destroyed. He only gets to play in the medal round. And he and Rob McClanahan are the two that fight in the practices early on. They're the two that are playing through a lot of pain. The other guy's got the leg contusion where the doctor says... Well, I guess he's not going to hurt it any worse, but he's going to be in a hell of a lot of pain. And, and then Herb and Brooks just, is like, get the hell out of there. He bullies him into playing. Yeah. I am a hockey player. That ought to fire him up. <laughs> the style of hockey back then, if you watch the actual games, there's so little hitting 
Everyone's yeah. just sort of flying by. Like yeah, the Russians aren't hitting the Americans like it's shown. Although yeah. that is the ten to three game a few weeks before, but the Russians are bowling over the Americans in that game, and that's not what I saw. In no, the Olympic game. The Olympic game was all just flybys, but that's true of the NHL game too. You watch the games of that era; it's a lot of flying down the wing and then flat out fighting, but not necessarily yeah. body checking. The and same a lot way. of stick play, a lot of slashing, a lot of hooking, a lot of interference. But the way the game has evolved is much more physical now. There's a lot less open space where people can just fly around at will, and it looks like an ice capades game almost. It's really interesting. If you watch an NHL All-Star game now, where nobody wants to get hurt, so there's no hitting to yeah. speak of, that's kind of reminiscent of what this thing reminded me of. You mentioned earlier on, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Did you like it? I didn't ask you that question yet. I did. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. One of the things I appreciated, I don't know if I liked it the most as far as like a narrative goes when you talk about the way that the movie wraps up and things like that, but one thing I did appreciate was that they did not mess with the way historical events played out. They could have very easily just made some tweaks to the way the movie ended to make it look like, hey, you know what, this was a gold medal game, or maybe we played the Finns beforehand and this was the way the Olympics ended. And most people wouldn't have known the difference and probably wouldn't have cared. But the fact that they stayed so true to the narrative, because the narrative is pretty crazy when you think about it, and pretty dramatic... How many movies have we done that are nominally based on history? And I've nitpicked movie producers, movie directors, movie screenwriters. They have a tendency of making changes to reality that are just needless. They don't necessarily add any dramatic tension. They make things seem cheesier than they really were. And and oftentimes, I think anyway, the reality is much more interesting than the fictionalized version of it. We said that about the hurricane. Yeah. And this is a case where they stuck very true, for the most part, to the actual story and the actual history. And I appreciated that a lot. We talk about the difference in the game and the difference in the ice and how... They don't play, by the way, in Miracle, the movie Miracle, on Olympic-sized ice. Is that that's one of the things North that's American not authentic. Size? Maybe it's hard to find Olympic ice when it's not... An, well, that was an Olympic year, wasn't it, 2004? No. That was by the time they'd split up the Olympics. Because back in 1980, it was winter and summer in the exact same year. Every yeah. four years, 80, 84, 88. But they split them up in 92, I believe it was. Yes. And Canada won the gold in 2002. In the Winter Olympics, so 2004 was the Summer Olympics. So maybe they couldn't find Olympic ice, but they're playing on just a regular Boston, Edmonton, Dallas, whatever size rink that you could find right now as we record this podcast. Which is smaller than a lot smaller. Olympic ice. Which is one reason why the Europeans and the Russians did so well in the Olympics, because they're better at skating than Canada and America generally is. And passing. I don't know if it's necessarily better at skating and passing. And I think, teamwork also. Well, okay, that is a point. But I think when you're used to playing on the big ice, like these international teams are... There's many more passing lanes. There's many more opportunities to split the defense and get quality scoring opportunities. But if you're a North American player, these days maybe played pro hockey, but even if you've just played amateur hockey on North American ice, you get used to being in a certain position and thinking that you've cut off certain passing lanes or you're in True. a good position to pinch somebody on the boards, perhaps, and not open up a seam elsewhere. And So what, there's five more feet. Yeah, so there's five more feet, and you'd have to adjust to that. And having to do that when you only have how many days to prepare... I know this team had six-plus months to do it, but in reality, I think many times you get together a week or two before the beginning. The of, NHL teams didn't for all the years because the pros right. are not playing again now, but they did in 98 up until 2000. 14, was it? Well, it was until no, recently. I looked at the history of the gold medal. They were at the, the medals, I should say, in men's hockey. Were they not at the last Olympics? They weren't. It was pros for a long time. And that's one thing, too. I'll do the nutshell, because it fits into this a little bit. Because, of course, the Americans won here, and Soviets got silver, and that wasn't good enough for them. you got to win gold, and that's all you could possibly win. And they had won forever. They won in 1964 and 8. Anyway, they won every gold medal you could possibly win for the longest time. The Americans had won in 1960, somewhere in, I think, America also. Oh, yeah. Some small place like Lake Placid was as well. But one thing, just because you mentioned the 1960 aspect of it, that is one thing I wish the movie had done a little bit more of highlighting. There is a scene in the movie where you see Herb. This is after his wife tells him. (laughs) I'm just going to say it that way. I can't help it. It is what it is. I'm Canadian, Ryan. What do you want from me? Herb Brooks. I'm in touch with my inner francophone. His wife tells him that he's chasing after something he never got. Because he was a player back then. Yeah. And and he got cut right before the Olympics. And they don't do a good job of explaining that, though. You see him looking at the picture in 1960, but you never really... No, the players talk about it a little bit. They mentioned about how... Yeah. It breezed right back. But I've seen this movie four times now, so maybe that's why I knew about that better than you did. The fact that he was the last man cut from the team, and only cut because some other star player on that team demanded that his brother play with him on it, or otherwise Brooks would have been on the team if this guy's brother wasn't dragged along with him. Then that 1960 squad goes on to win gold, and then the Soviets just run the table for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think that adds an element of understanding to why he's so bloody obsessed the way he is throughout this movie. Because he already had a job and a good job at the University of Minnesota, Minnesota, I think it was. Yeah. 
And he was winning whatever the championship is at that That's level. The NCAA He won title. I think, more than one of those. Yeah. So here's the nutshell, because Russia did win the golds before this game and a couple times after this game. Do you believe Russia would win five to six Olympic gold medals in men's ice hockey? Yes! <laughs> it is funny to see that. It's almost like the Yankees in the, I guess, 50s. Championship, 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 championship. Silver, championship, championship. And then after Russia or USSR had disbanded, whatever they called it then, the 92, I think, Olympics, maybe 94, that team won. So not actually Russia or the Soviet Union, but basically it was. Then they didn't win anything else gold-wise ever since. But they won over and over and over. So yes, America won this one time and they should be congratulated for that. But it's kind of like the Yankees winning over and over again back in their glory days. Well, the Russians were the same Yeah. with Olympic ice hockey. And the funny thing is that obviously at some point there would be different teams because this is over the span of four years. Yeah, you're right. Every four years. You're talking a span of 24 years Yeah. over this kind of quasi Nobody was playing from that point, the mid-60s until... And a lot of the Russian players end up playing in the NHL, but way past their prime. Fedosov. I love actually hearing Kasatinov, because in the NHL, he was always called Kasatonov, which does sound better anyway. But that's what (laughs) Michaels kept calling him, was Kasatinov. And Michaels is a great broadcaster, so I think he got most of the pronunciations right. But Makarov, or I think it was Makarov. Anyway, he played in the NHL at one point. He did, Krutov played for at least the Vancouver team. He was a kid. He was 19 years old in this. And Dryden mentions more than once in the real game that he was dominating in the early part of the game. He was always a pest and a problem out there in a good way. Trechak, though, who's in the Hall of Fame, I think the only one of this team who is in the Hall of Fame, never played in the NHL that I'm aware of. No, but I think he was too old by the time Russian players mm-hmm. started to come over. I believe he might have served as a goaltending consultant trainer for some, right. for some NHL teams, that but I think right. he was too far past his prime. I read somewhere that Al Michaels had like a little tabletop hockey game He had given each player names on that hockey game, and he was using that to remember which Russian name was associated with which position and which number on the ice because he couldn't keep it straight. I'm impressed that the broadcasters can do that with even guys named Smith and Jones. How do you see... I don't have very good eyes. Maybe that's my problem. How do you even see the names on their sweaters as they move around and when their back isn't facing you? When you know who they are, let alone when they're Russians with these complicated names. you got to pay attention to the numbers. That's the only way to do it, I would think, right, is to know number X is this person, so it's got to be... It's a tip of a hat to a broadcaster how good they can be then, that they're... Oh, absolutely. Rarely that, but well, Bob Cole, the legendary Canadian announcer, who we all love, but (laughs) for years before he finally was taken out of the main job, I've mocked this... Will the the Russians come back and tie? No. (laughs) (laughs) But his whole thing with the Leaf games, for example, would be, he's right in there! Scramble! Score! Rather than this person's doing this thing, this person's doing that thing. Just a random maze of words. They score! Because he sees the red light go on because he couldn't see anything anymore. Yeah, it's a tribute to the way you can think quickly on your feet to be able to be a play-by-play announcer, I think, in any sport. And hockey might be the hardest of the bunch because the puck moves so quickly. If you want to try to get people an accurate visual image of what's going on, I think you have to go one of two ways. You either speak super fast... Or you do what Cole did, and that's just try to convey the emotion. Oh, of he was it. great at the emotion. Yeah. No doubt about that. You're not going to get every little detail, but you'll get a sense of what you should be feeling, right? And I think that's not necessarily Al Michaels' forte. I think Al Michaels has a very specific style. So let me do a little bit of numbers. We'll get back to the movie itself. And it is, of course, set at Lake Placid. So this is the movie set at Lake Placid that doesn't feature a hungry crocodile. I kept waiting for the enormous crocodile to burst out of the ice and eat at least a few of the Soviet players, but it never happened. Well, Chris, you can dream on, dream on. Oh, Lordy. I cannot oh. sing Steven Tyler. That's a good song, and it does fit, but oh, God. I do hate that voiceover by Carissa at the end. Of a chance to dream, but more than that, a chance to believe. <laughs> what? You went into more of a... Not Walter Matthau. I can't do an impression the, of Kurt Russell in this movie because it's a the, bad accent. The legendary news anchor. Walter Cronkite. Cronkite. He yes. did a very Cronkite-esque yeah. reading of that. And that's the way it was. <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> a chance to dream. So Miracle was released by Disney, as we said before, 15 years ago on February 6th, 2004, and it doubled its budget at the box office. They probably should have aimed for 2006 or 2002 release. And interestingly, if they'd done 2002, then the Americans were one of the favorites. They won silver... We won the gold. We hadn't won the gold with our pros in 98. That's a famous story. Gretzky and so on didn't win then, but then we did win in 2002 against the Americans in Salt Lake City. And we've won, I think, twice since that as well. And that's the one time I will say we, including the gold medal game, Sidney Crosby's overtime goal in Vancouver. That was incredible. That was the last thing that was done at the Olympics, too. We won so many gold medals of that. And the Rotten Tomatoes, 80% of critics like this movie, 8-0. An average of 7 out of 10, and 90% of audiences... First time I saw this movie, I liked it. Would have given it probably a six and a half or a seven. But now I think because I'm just, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about this movie. 
a year or two after I'd seen it, when I was still renting what they call here in Canada zip discs, which was <laughs> Netflix did, because Netflix, really? I guess, long ago in America, would actually send you discs in the mail before yeah, it was yeah. truly a streaming service. We had that zip here, and I rented Miracle that way. And then time goes by, I want to see this movie again. And I, for some reason, I just couldn't get it that way. And I couldn't get it in stores. Or if you did, it had to be full frame. I thought, it's a widescreen movie. And then I got to be marginally obsessed. I have to find this movie. Where am I going to find this movie? I would give this movie an eight at least, partly because the sports scenes might be the best depicted we've watched yet in 40 episodes. If it's not the best, it's in the top two or three. Yeah. The hockey action is outstanding. Gavin O'Connor, who directed Warrior, which we'll probably do next year. Okay. Huge tip of the cap. The hockey action is well done. The one thing that stood out to me is they make liberal use of low tight angles and a lot of action cam blurring type of movement of cameras the camera. on the ice quite a lot yeah probably and a cameraman on skates what occurred to me is the way they do that makes a lot of sense because i'm sure trying to depict hockey being played at this level at the speed at which the game is played at this level it must be extraordinarily difficult because you've got actors on skates right so although gavin o'connor in the studio i guess too wanted Athletes first, hockey players first, actors second. That's fair. Hoosiers was like that too. Hoosiers was like and that. And this movie has a lot of things in common with Hoosiers. The obsessed coach who has to win, he's the yeah. main focus, he makes himself the main focus. That's something the press asks Herb Brooks in this movie about why can't we talk to the players and Herb won't answer that. Is it about him having a big ego? Yes. <laughs> or is it about him just saying, I don't want the players to be distracted? Gretzky did that with the 2002 Olympics though too. He basically said, I will take the heat. It was almost like he was being an actor because he was basically whining. Oh, the media is treating us badly and everyone hates Canada. And then people called him out for that. And a lot of people have said since, that might have been Wayne performing a little bit to say, attention on me, attention on me, get it off of Mario and Iserman and those other guys. By the way, I didn't finish the point earlier about the injuries. Jack O'Callaghan is portrayed as having this bum knee, probably shouldn't be playing. They probably should have cut him. If he's that badly hurt, as good a player as he is, he probably should have been cut at that point. Sorry, Jack, but if you can't play until the metal round, and even then, how healthy are you? But it reminds me of Steve Eiserman in 2002, who wasn't the superstar he had been. But you hear stories since that in those Olympics, he was playing on one leg himself. Yeah. And I also am reminded of Jason Giambi in the 2004 or 5 playoffs, the Yankees. He had a really bum something, whatever was wrong with him. And I think he benched himself. And in Joe Torre's book, he criticized Giambi for that. And if I was in those shoes, never really been all that hurt. I've never had a knee where I can't walk on it kind of thing. I feel like I'd try to play through it. I only play softball. Granted, we've made that very clear in this podcast over the year and a half. We've done it. But I don't know. I feel like I would try my best to play through it. And I'm not questioning O'Callaghan's toughness or Giambi's toughness. Giambi will waste me. But maybe Steve Eiserman. <laughs> you better not criticize Giambi. He will find you, And he's sir. a gamer. But then again, at the same point, what's best for the team? If Giambi, O'Callaghan, or even Eiserman are not going to be very effective players, maybe they should have been ditched for somebody who could play more effectively. Yeah, you never know. I know I'm giving mixed messages here, but I admire the Iserman-type player who can definitely contribute, really good defensive player at that point in his career, had been a superstar offensively. But if he can't skate, then why is he playing? I don't know. But it's, I tip my cap at the same point. The problem is how true this aspect of it is, I don't know. But the messaging in this movie is we're our family and we're going to get through this together. We're going to win or die together. I think at the point where O'Callaghan gets hurt, if you cut him and you bring in somebody else, even if it's the Brian Cox guy that got cut at the last second. That's an effective scene. That touched me more than I remember it touching me before. Maybe because you know what's going to happen before oh, yeah, Herb actually says the words. It's very similar to Bull Durham. This is the hardest job a manager has. As yeah. soon as Craig Patrick says that Herb wants to see you and Ralph has a look on his face, well, he everybody, knows he's gone. Everybody has that look on their face. Mm -hmm. right? They're all looking at him. They know what's coming, but they also understand that it was going to be one of them. If you cut O'Callaghan at that point... And they really beat you over the head about the consequences of keeping him on, too. It's not just you've got a player that can't play until the medal rounds. It's if you keep him on and somebody else gets hurt, you're in a real boatload of trouble as far as actually yeah. fielding a team out there. players then rather than 20. Yeah, so in the coach's eyes, if you've just been espousing, we're not going to be the best team, but we're going to be the most committed team, we're going to be the hardest working team, and we're going to win for each other and for the country, the name on our sweater, as a family... You can't let the guy go. That undercuts the whole messaging of it, right? Well, you're right, because also they have that scene earlier where that guy Heron's brought in, some superstar, who was at the original tryouts but got cut yeah. because Herb wanted the best team, not the best players. But he brings Heron back in later as motivation, I think really for Ruzioni. Yeah. Because it's Ruzioni and O'Callaghan and two other guys, maybe McClanahan, but anyway, the four of them that want to talk to Herb somewhere towards the end of the movie when he brings Heron in. Coaches can be mean. And it clearly seemed to have just been a motivational tactic. I don't think he was ever going to actually put Heron on the official <laughs> roster and cut. This poor guy. Would it be Rizzo who becomes the captain? And also the thing with Rizzo, I don't know if it's the exact same guy, but one of the executives who you see early on in the film, you see him sprinkle throughout the whole picture, 
He's one of the ones that says that Ruzioni can't be on the team. He's not good enough. He's not scoring enough. And, of course, Ruzioni scores the winning goal in the 4-3 right. game. But he's been the captain for long before that. So when we see them go to the ice and he's being the motivational tapping guys on the shin guards and let's go this guy, let's go that guy, let's go this guy, he's the last one on the ice. And then as he turns to go on the ice, the executive says, Rizzo, and he smacks him on the helmet and says, yeah, you're the man. And I think it's the same guy who earlier in the movie had been portrayed as saying, he can't play on this team. He's not good enough. Well, it was definitely the same guy that was portrayed earlier. He was critical of hiring Herb, Herb Brooks for the <laughs> nice. for the role. Was critical of the selection of the players for sure. Sorry, just a whipsaw back to the portrayal of the game. And you mentioned it's the best portrayed. Do you agree with that? In some respects, yes. And this is me also looking for this, though, right? If I was just watching this movie and not just trying to keep in mind aspects of it that we were going to talk about in the podcast later, if I was just watching it for my own enjoyment and not really paying that much attention, I wouldn't have thought of this. But the way that they do that low-angle, quick-motion, action-shooting of the game, it blurs it to the extent that it makes it just look fast and look accurate, and you don't get a sense of the fine details of it. You don't really see the movement of the puck all that clearly. You don't really see the skating and the way that the players are positioning themselves all that clearly. But you get a sense of the speed and the action of the game. And I think that was a smart choice. And it's in contrast to some of the other movies, like The Mighty Ducks, which are admittedly a group of kids. So you can Mm. accept that you're just getting a wide-angle shot of the action and it doesn't look all that pretty or all that skilled because they're kids. But even Slapshot, which is the other movie that I was going to compare this to, we talked about how some of the casting of that, Pacino doesn't get that role because he can't skate worth a lick and the director wanted... Even if they're actors, they wanted actors that were athletic and could look the part on skate. Newman looks like he can skate really well. Exactly. If he can't skate, he's an even better actor than I want to give him credit for. <laughs> he really knows how to shift those shoulders in a way that looks like he's skating. <laughs> in trying to approach it similarly to this movie, they did a good job of selecting actors that can look the part on skates, but they also shot it much differently than we saw the action shot in Slapshot. It just looked so much faster and more intense with that sort of cinematography approach versus Slapshot, which, while it looked good did also look kind of like minor league tier sloppy hockey. and As it should in that movie. As it should. There's yeah. a lot less hockey in that movie, as we pointed out, especially in the last half of the movie than there is in this one. There's way more hockey in the last half of this movie than there is in the first, and there's plenty in the first half. This yeah. movie is one of those, like Hoosiers again, that has so much action, in this case on the ice, in that case on the court. I'll finish up the numbers, by the way. So this was 43rd at the 2004 U.S. box office, and a bit of a proviso on this. Whenever I get box office numbers in the future... Box Office Mojo was bought out by IMDb, and they screwed with things. I don't know why. So now if a movie got released at the end of the year and spilled into, and most of its receipts were in the next year, Titanic, for example, came out in December. So it would show 1998, number one movie, but it came out in 97. It should have been a 97 movie. This might be a little skewed for both this podcast and the one I do with Bev in the future with the numbers. Anyway, it says on there it was 43rd at the 2004 U.S. Box Office. Shrek 2 was number one, and this was a big year for sports films, and good ones, too. We've already covered a few of them. Million Dollar Baby was the Oscar winner. Friday Night Lights, we've covered that. Dodgeball, we covered that. Mr. 3000, which I didn't love, but I would actually like to see again someday. And this one, above all of those, won the ESPY for Best Sports Movie. I can understand that, though. It's interesting that we've actually seen three of those four movies. I can't remember much about Mr. 3000, but those other three movies, as much as I enjoy all three of those, I think the portrayal of the sport in this was superior to any of those. Second best would be football and Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights was very well done as well, but it felt like there was less of an emphasis put on the actual football games. If yeah, that there's less sense. football on that than there is hockey in this. Yeah, true. exactly. And one more thing about the numbers. Miracle was nominated for the top 100 cheers in the FI list and the top 100 genres in the sports category very appropriately. And those are the exact same nominations the Hurricane had that we covered two weeks ago. <laughs> the cheers and the sports genres. And we said the Hurricane should not have been nominated for the sports category probably. Well, but they, this should have been. I don't get the cheers. What is the cheers in Hurricane? Just about Lesnar busting him out with his love, I guess. <laughs> but the inspiration and the sports category for this, absolutely worthy of them yeah. both. In fact, if it had made this sports list, I would have been fine with that. Absolutely fine with that with this one. It's one of the best sports movies I think ever made. And I think it's gotten better as I've seen it more often. It definitely holds up for a movie that is 15 years old. It still feels like a modern film. There were aspects of it that I felt were a little bit drawn out and just didn't speak to me all that much. Where could you find an opportunity to trim it down? And this is something I feel like is a common... Maybe it's just me. Maybe what I enjoy in this genre of movie is something that's a little bit tighter and compact and more action-y in a sports movie, even when it's got a specific message it's trying to deliver. But I struggle to think of areas in which this movie could trim time. And one of the ones that I was thinking of, but I don't think they would ever do, were the scenes where they're trying to hammer home the Malays forever era of America, like the Jimmy Carter years. The opening montage is pretty long. 
the opening montage with the voiceover of Jimmy Carter speaking, and yeah. then later on we hear him do the Malay's speech. He's not doing the yeah. Malay's speech in the opening. He's doing no, it more in the middle of the movie, and the, the coaches car. are listening to it in the car. Yeah. And by the way, a bit of a sidebar. I'll be very political for a second here. <laughs> Hearing that speech again, that should have got him reelected, not lost the job. I want to vote for the actor who's going to do Morning in America and give me all these wonderful feelings, rather than the guy who's saying. We can't just rely on consumerism. We can't just rely on being content with everything. You have to work for it. Citizenship, you have to earn it. Because that speech ends up being negative in a lot of ways. But towards the end, it's all about, but I believe in America. I believe in you as Americans. Listen to the damn speech, people. This whole, he lost a job for that reason. There you go. And I'm not just saying Americans. Every citizen in every country is probably like this. Canada is probably no different. Are babies. If that's what lost him the job. Anyway, political aside over. <laughs> But you're right. There's a lot of that. We see that pretty long montage showing about just how bad things were in the 70s. The gas shortage. And then those guys are waiting to get gas in the middle of the movie. The two assistant coaches. And yeah, all the things with Vietnam and Watergate and all that stuff. The Iran. Right, of course. Which is part of why the Soviets were thinking about boycotting. Yeah. But there's a lot of that. It just didn't speak to me. And maybe it's because I understand enough about that era of American history to know at least a little bit about all those issues. And the cynic in me has a hard time believing that as amazing a story as this was, and even if it got a lot of news coverage at the time, which I'm sure it did, I still find it hard to believe that a single hockey game in 1980 would so galvanize the country as to make it a turning point for them. So I felt like that aspect of it was a little overblown, a little heavy-handed, and maybe that was an area that could have trimmed it. That particular speech, the Malay's speech that they were listening to in the car, it sounded to me very much like a watered-down version of Winston Churchill giving a speech in World War II. Yeah. The famous all I have to give is blood, toil, sweat, or something like that, right? In Jimmy Carter's speech, he says we have to work. For the first time ever, we feel like the next five years are going to be worse than the previous yes, five years, right. and we're just going to have to work through it. And it's like, well, We don't want to work. Yeah, it sounded like a less inspiring... Well, no, Americans Winston, want to work. Winston they just Churchill. don't want to be pressured to work too hard. And not just Americans, Canadians are probably no different. Listen, Ryan, I go out there every day. We have easy jobs, certainly <laughs> physically. What's the Homer Simpson speech? It's, when things get hard, you don't give up. You just go in there every day and you do it really half-assed. Yeah, exactly. That's the American way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I used my whole ass. <laughs> and anyway, it's not really a subplot, it's just... Oh, it's a subplot, an important one. That's why, at the end, he can say things as lame as the voiceover is about... About believing Gave again. people a chance to dream and a chance to believe again. The 80s, for a lot of people, were better. It was certainly better for rich people. Oh, incidentally... Not better for films, although there's some good movies in the 80s. The 70s movies were definitely better, but... It was a lot better for Wall Street bankers oh, and yeah. drug dealers. Cocaine sales, money. You, yeah. you beat me to it. And the reason that came to mind when I was watching this movie is at the end credits, they show all the actors and the players dream that they portray. Dream on! Dream on! I can't get hired for that. There you go, you do it. And this is, of course, as of the movie's release in 2004, so many of these players were in the financial services industry. I noticed industry. that too. Real estate too is a big one. Real and then estate. coaching. Some of them got into coaching. Yeah. A lot of these guys went to the NHL. Neil Broughton did, Ken Morrow, Mike Ramsey. Dave Christian, we mentioned Jack O'Callaghan not playing, obviously, for a while, so they've only a five to defenseman right dave christian was a right winger in the nhl and i think had been as an amateur player up until that point but playing defense in this game and ken dryden in the real game does point out he's played really well today his positioning has been great so for those earlier games they had five defensemen and one of them was a right winger playing defense so even more of a tip of a cap to her brooks and these other guys i found it interesting that that was the particularly knowing this was 1980 so they're finishing college and after this are probably entering into their professional lives and many of them would not have much in the way of professional hockey careers uh, a third of them at least by the looks at this list here i've got posted on the screen yeah but mark johnson also played the nhl he oh, had the big game he had scored i think a hat trick in this game Definitely there, there were a number of people on this team that had a cup of coffee in the nhl but i think you could probably count on one hand plus a finger or two the number that had substantial hockey careers rizzo didn't get anything really no. all that big out of this even jim craig the star goaltender 30 I, games it says 30 games, only, yeah, yeah so spread over four years too not even 10 games a year the way that the players come across behind the scenes is not the most flattering as far as being intellectual giants goes. There's a lot of... I uh, think most 15 to 20-year-olds, well, not 15, but 18 to 20, 21-year-olds who play any sport for a living, or I've said this in other podcasts, are probably not very bright. They're obsessed with what they do. Exactly. Friday Night Lights talked about that. I don't have to go to school. I'm a football player. That's what Booby says. Yeah. And then he breaks down later. I don't know how to do anything. I I can't do anything One of the most important scenes we've ever watched, I think, in the 40 movies we've covered is that exact thing, which is I have been focused on this one thing, and he should be, and obsessed with this one thing. Now my knee goes out. What else do I do just to live as a human being? Forget being an athlete. Now, that's an interesting thing we should maybe think about in the future, actually, now that I'm saying this. Of the movies we've covered, what are the 
five or ten most affecting or most effective scenes in any of the movies we've watched. Similar would be the that rest. would be up there, right? Like yeah. that'd be number one or two. In Friday Night Lights, yeah. In Friday Night Lights. Similar in the wrestler, we covered that around the same time earlier yeah. this year. A lot of different moments, but it's just the speech at the end, the whole sort of I'm nothing without you people and I'll quit when you tell me I gotta quit because he has that movie makes it very clear, nothing else. Yeah. He thinks he has nothing else. He has Pam, I guess. The stripper seems to want to be his friend, at least if not his girlfriend. But yeah, these guys at that age think that this is the only thing that is for them. And not in a negative way, in a positive way. They're happily obsessed with this thing, but if they do get a Booby Miles injury, yeah, oh, oh. What's left for you, right? You can maybe it's get into coaching. Herb was a player, got into coaching. He coached that 2002 American team that won the silver medal. So they didn't even medal again after these Olympics, by the way. They didn't get a bronze or a silver and certainly not a gold in any Olympics after 1980 until 2002, 22 years later, when Herb was the coach again. And wow. they barely lost out to us. And we only won, well, it was five to two. So it sounds like more of a blow than it was. But it was a close game. I watched it and we probably did too. Yep. And he was the coach when that happened. And then Craig Patrick, who's played by Noah Emmerich. Bev and I covered him in the Truman Show a couple years ago. He's a pretty good actor. He's a good actor. He doesn't look anything like the real Craig Patrick, but Craig Patrick, the real guy, went on to be a GM of the Penguins in their glory years. He was the GM when they won the oh. Stanley Cup a couple times. Yeah, speaking about the players that, their professional lives after the games anyway, and so many of them got into that 1980s world of real estate and finance. And maybe this is just because I recently watched The Wolf of Wall Street coupled with my less than thrilled impression of their intellect behind the scenes, as portrayed in this movie, anyway. Oh, how did that happen? Is that what you're getting at? No, it struck me that in the 80s, you probably didn't have to be the greatest brainchild in the world to be a successful trader or a successful broker in America. Lend your name to something. Yeah, so many guys were directors or partners of this brokerage or this trading firm. And it sounds like it's legit. They wouldn't lie. Why would they lie in the movie? Oh, no, I'm assuming it's very true. I think we saw like one doctor of orthodontics or something. Like you said, a number of people that got into hockey coaching at either the professional or the academic level. But you don't see any of it where it says he went into war or something like that with the military and then was lost. No one ever saw him again. He's homeless in the street. There's nothing like that. It's all finance and real estate. This was the easy profession to make a crap ton of money in the 80s. And they all just like, well, if hockey's not for us, let's go trade some stocks and do some blow. So... I don't know if you picked up on this, Ryan, but we talked about the portrayal of the game and how it's different now, and they played this on the North American ice, but do you know why the corners of the ranks, and this applies to both North American and European ranks, but why they're rounded instead of being 90 degrees? This is a dad joke coming, isn't it? It is. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) Damn it, you screwed me again, Hellas. Well, it's because if the corners were 90 degrees, the ice would melt. You haven't had a dad joke in a while, so I guess you were due. <laughs> oh, I'm so satisfied now. <laughs> For a half oh. second I thought, wait a minute, why would it not be rounded? Because otherwise <laughs> it'd be dangerous, the puck would always stop on the side. Actually, there's a bit of a sidebar on that. I don't know if you've ever played floor hockey at any kind of level as an adult or even as a kid. I did for years, many years. And when you play in most of these gyms, I don't think any of them have rounded boards. And a lot of them are auditoriums that you play in that are really made for floor hockey at all. And when you shoot the ball into the corner, a lot of times it's just bang, it stops dead because it can't go running around the boards. Nice dad joke, though. One of my old favorite hockey jokes, it doesn't apply anymore because the Capitals won the Cup two years ago, but up until that point, Alex Ovechkin was probably the greatest player in the NHL to not win a Stanley Cup, right? A surefire Hall of Famer and might be the greatest goal scorer of all time before he's done with his career. One of my favorite jokes was in Washington, they had a drink. You walk into any bar and just order an Ovechkin and they would know what you wanted. And it was a white Russian that was served without a cup. (laughs) That's actually a better dad joke. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Uh, I'm here all night, folks. (laughs) Uh, Or at least for another 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, he's got to go to play squash. So I'm just going to kill time with some more terrible jokes. One thing about this movie I found to be curious, maybe more so now than I would have if I'd seen it in 2004, is, of course, it's a Disney film, and Disney owns everything now. Mm-hmm. So you got the overdog, Disney, and the, they love their underdog movies, the Mighty Ducks. Overdog? That's what the expression can be, right? Is it? You've never heard that? I've never heard well, that. Well, underdog, we've all heard that one forever. But overdog, when you are the Yankees in the 50s in baseball, or the yeah. Soviets through all these years, the decades of Olympic hockey, except for this one time. Disney is the overdog of 
maybe longer than just recently, but certainly recently since they own everything. Yeah, and just, it's just curious to me that they love these underdog movies like yeah. Glory Road they did a couple years after this and Miracle and Mighty Ducks and Angels in the Outfield. They sell, man. That's why. Well, like, exactly. People love an underdog story. But Americans think they're the underdog and they are so not. Even then. That is ironic, isn't it? The that... Russians were obviously already going downhill. If they didn't even have their bona fide country, the USSR, not even 10 years later, then obviously things were going bad for them. Yeah. We didn't know about it. Chernobyl, really good miniseries, by the way. That had happened, I think after this actually, but that was going to happen to them. So things were just going bad for them. They needed to put on a good front, though. I guess every country does, and it was things like winning the Olympics. You mentioned Chernobyl. They touch on Three Mile Island in that right. montage at the opening. That was 79, I believe. Yeah. Yes, because Bab and I covered the China Syndrome earlier this year, and we talked about how that movie came out right around the same time that happened. Somebody's quick thinking turned, what, a potential Chernobyl into a right. mere Three Mile <laughs> Island. <laughs> uh, Mr. That was Burns. a stunning disaster, too. It's incredible to me, the Three Mile Island meltdown is so downplayed in our collective historic memory of events. Yeah. We all think of it as a next to nothing. It was a genuine could have ecological... destroyed the Northeast. It could have, and as it was, it was an ecological disaster. Yeah. But we think of it as next to nothing because of how it was downplayed. And then you think of Chernobyl as this extraordinarily disastrous event, which it was. Three Mile Island was not that much better. I'm sure that if we were anywhere but North America, our understanding of events would be vastly different. The way we think of things that happen here versus the way things happen elsewhere is amazing. Well, the Americans know how to market things, and they know how to market bad news and make it okay news, at least yeah. tolerable news. And I would love to know what the Russian impression of this game, and I'm not talking about the movie here, I'm talking about the actual miracle game. What would an average Russian hockey fan have thought of that would it have been probably pretty devastated you think so they had a far better team they played better in that game and they annihilated the same team well three days before the Olympics and they were began, annihilating two teams weeks before in this. the Olympic rounds before this they yeah. were winning by I don't know how many goals but they were averaging I think Al Michael said they had 50 goals in five games yep. so they averaged 10 a game yeah, and one of the most fantastic quotes that came out of this was, oh, and before I talk about the quote, one of the things that I wish they'd have done a better job, as good as the portrayal of that game was, the Americans were leading 4-3 with about 10 minutes to go in this yeah. game. The reality was they were under siege for those last 10 minutes. It was all Soviets, right? You hear Herb Brooks in both the movie, Kurt Russell, and the actual guy yeah. saying, play your game. I can hear him in the real game. You hear him saying it, play your game, play your game. And playing your and game. And they're trying to, but they're not, because the Soviets are just coming at them. Playing your game as it applies to the American squad is taking it to the Russians, using the Russians' aggression against them. They didn't really do that much. They didn't, but it they was They played great defensively, for yeah. the most part. But they weren't that great on the offense. If you're a fan of hockey generally, and you ever see a game where one team is just being dominated by another team for an extended stretch, whether it's five minutes or ten minutes, it's intense, right? Because it's like being in a shooting gallery. Usually the puck is in a very confined offensive zone, much more so than almost any sport. And you're just getting peppered with the puck. You think about basketball, and you might score a basket, but then the possession's turned over, right? By well, the 24-second shot clock, you can't have the ball on the other end for two. It's also true. And football, you just march down the field, but again, you're subject to the clock. It's a slower pace of game. Baseball, it's an entirely different thing, right? You've got three outs and you're done. But hockey, it's just intense. You're yeah. hemmed in. It can just be peppered and peppered with shots. And they didn't do a great job of really portraying the intensity of those last 10 minutes yeah, and how it was just by the tips of their fingernails, right? Were they clinging on? I think they did an okay job, maybe not ideal. Jim Craig, incidentally, the movie shows he goes down on one of the Russian goals. He gets bowled over, and that's why they score. That wasn't true. No, he did he get got, bowled he over. He got bowled over later, yeah. and he hit his head, but he didn't look like he hit it on the post or on the ice. But he had such a, and I guess they all did, terrible mask. Oh, he had so a little bit of padding on the back, almost like a baseball cap padding. I love the hair just poofing. Yes, like, exactly. Poofing yeah. through the helmet. I guess they would train goalies, but don't ever turn your head because there's a lot of exposed parts everywhere. What yeah. they wear now is almost like wearing Kevlar on your head. There probably is Kevlar in your head, and it should be. And he plays through it, he toughs it out. And he's not down that long in the movie, although they seem to give him time, a little extra time. But that's not when a goal is scored. And it's an American player that knocks the Krutov into him, so it's not Krutov's fault. And they bang heads. That may be why Craig was down as long as he was. Probably because was. it was Krutov hitting his head. Yeah. Earlier in this movie, during the Olympics, you see the Americans... Was it against the Czechs that they or Sweden that they tied right the first game in the medal round? Led to the Herbie. Oh, the medal round. Okay. They pulled the goaltender late in the game to get the extra attacker, and they tie the game, and that's critical because they needed that for the standings later on. In the game against the Soviets, Soviets are losing four three for the last ten minutes, and at no point do they pull. The that's goalie. portrayed though. I know it's portrayed. Russell says to Emmerich, "He doesn't know what to do. And that's he would know what to do." 
Though but that's true. They asked some of the Russian players, why didn't the goaltender ever come to the bench? Why didn't you get the extra attacker on the ice? And they said it was so inconceivable that they would be losing late in the game like that, that they never practiced. Oh, so we didn't know what to do then. The players oh. literally would not have known how to execute, who to come off the bench, and how to play that's with six That's surprising, since the Russians are so obsessed with procedure and yeah, right? work and practice at this constantly. You think they would try everything. At this stage, you've had essentially 16 years of uninterrupted dominance of the international scene, you can understand why you would just think in a meaningful game, we're never going to find ourselves in a situation. But Michael's talks about it. how they came back earlier in the tournament. One of the other games they played, they were down in the third period. The Russians were, Soviets were. Maybe down the third, but maybe not down in, in the, the last, last couple minutes. minute or two where okay. you might pull a goalie, That's probably right? fair. Incidentally, the whole thing about the style. Oh, yeah. Brooks says early on, we're going to combine the Canadian and Soviet game and we'll use it and throw it back against them and stick it right down their throat. So that means put team above self, which is usually what sports ends up being in every sport anyway. The team's more important than the individual, which isn't really true in There's basketball. There's no, no so I in team, Ryan, but there is an I in win. Unless you spell it wrong. That was my old line from when I was in college. I wrote a screenplay. There's no I in team unless you spell it wrong. Did you spell it T-I-E-M? Team. <laughs> Time. But anyway, the whole thing about put team above self, isn't that just communism? And American sports have been obsessed with it forever too, right? This whole notion, the team's more important than the individual. So you're saying Brooks was a socialist? I think he was. A dirty, stinking commie? <laughs> this movie's misleading. Wow. Most I... human beings realize that communism at its core is not evil. It just gets corrupted by evil people. The yeah. notion that we should all be in for each other is a nice thought. It's never realistic. Right. But we're seeing in America, especially right now, which is, oh, I got mine, Jack. We've been seeing that for a long time. Again, not just the Americans. Every country probably does this, and there's a lot of corrupt people. Mm -hmm. The communist system is never going to work, but the notion of it is very nice, at least. We all benefit rather than, I got mine, and if you starve to death, oh well. Practically speaking, it's not feasible. It is funny to think of sports that way, though, that in order to succeed, you need to take a more egalitarian, socialist perspective of the game. And it works. Especially in international sports. I think you can make an argument in professional sports that winning becomes secondary to personal achievement because the amount of money you're going to be paid is ultimately going to be derived historically from personal achievement. That might be changing now that we've got some of these advanced statistics that measure your contribution to winning. So from an international or nationalistic perspective, it's kind of a funny contradiction, especially against the USSR. Before we get out of here, I just want to talk a little bit more about Russell and the Herb Brooks, the real guy. Also Noah Emmerich as Craig Patrick. Craig is a supportive mother and the work wife to Herb, I would say. But Herb is the tough, stern, <laughs> loving father. Apparently the real Herb wouldn't have gone to Christmas with them. And, hey, guys, good to see you. Thanks for the whip, guys. The uh, gift that keeps on and giving. And barely be there, but then miss his own Christmas. Whatever his relationship was with his own family, his wife and his kids. Patricia Clarkson, by the way, really good actress. So wasted as just the thing we've seen a thousand times, a supportive wife. She's such a good actress that she makes it work. But she was nominated for an Oscar the same time this movie came out. In February, she got nominated for a movie in 2003, Pieces of April, Best Supporting Actress. Okay. And it was getting promoted. And the Oscars would have been, I don't know, a few weeks after this movie came out. And here she is in this movie. And a good movie. And it's not like it's a terrible role. But what a waste of her skills to just be the, oh, Herb, you got to love your family kind of thing. But at least he loves her back. Yeah. They do have that nice scene where they sort of fight and then he realizes I've got to still be a father and a husband here just because I'm obsessed with this hockey stuff we are still months away from that because it was in the summer when they had that fight. That sentiment as touching as it was in the moment was a little bit contradicted later when he spends all of his time around the holidays with the team exchanging gifts and then comes home to find his family all gone to bed. They put up the tree and they've got a little note, Daddy we left the star for you to put on top. So what was that earlier realization all about now that you've just gone full circle and come back to well, I'm going to be obsessed with the team again. You are right, she's wasted in this. And at the end of the movie, I had a bit of like a rocky flashback. Everyone's celebrating on the ice, and he looks around to the crowd, and he runs over so that he can get a better eye line with his wife. Nice moment. Nice moment, but I just wanted him to go, Hey, Patty, I did it! <laughs> and then, da, 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 da. No, that's the 18. What the hell am I doing? 18 theme song. I'm you have to leave. Why are we doing this? I don't know. Well, one more thing I want to bring up again compared to the real <laughs> moment is that you do see her Brooks going back. I don't know if he went back there to have his own moment. That's a nice moment too. One of the best things I like about this movie is when he goes back in there and just does the whole... Luckily enough, you don't see a close-up. You don't see any watery eyes or flat-out tears. Right. It's a long shot. But Russell as Brooks just says the whole, yeah, we did it. I just And then he squats down. And it looks like he might be actually crying. But luckily enough, Gavin O'Connor smartly never goes in on that at all. But you do see the real Herb Brooks going back somewhere when Craig Patrick is on the ice, just like in the movie it's shown, hugging the players. The guy who plays the Doc, very similar to the real guy who played Doc, whatever his name is. 
I don't remember if we even got the name. He's a very ancillary character throughout the movie, anyway. Well, he's in the movie quite a bit. He is yeah, but he just kind of facilitates Kenneth stuff. Welsh. The same year he played a Dick Cheney kind of character in The Day After Tomorrow. I remember that. That's Doc right. Nagobads? Nagobods? <laughs> Doc Nagobads. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting But name. they're all on the ice with the players. Also, did you notice in the movie that when they score, I think the tying goal, the 3-3 goal? Yeah. The backup goalie, Genesec, is out there. It's almost like the game's over. It's like when Canada won the gold in 2010 in overtime. There's more than five people on the ice celebrating after that goal. It's about 10 of them, including the backup goalie. And in reality, I thought, okay, I'm going to look for Janicek. And he wasn't on the ice that I could see, but they did have other players. They probably should have been penalized. You're not supposed to do that, have everyone uh, jump on the ice. I think it was you, a great moment. You granted, cut them but... some slack. The play's dead. Nothing's going on as long as you get your line back on the ice. But in the movie, everyone goes on the yeah. ice. And it's not even over yet. They just it's, tied it as well. It's a bit well. much, but... Now, what I want to know is, did you take any cues? And as we do very often, mention softball and you play on and coach a couple of teams. Did you take any coaching cues from Herb Brooks throughout this movie? Particularly some of the rousing speeches like the, you guys think you can go out and win on talent? You're not talented enough to win on talent. I can't tell that to our team because we actually, despite our aging now, a lot of us are in our 40s, are still pretty talented. We have some of the best players in the whole league in the CBC league, including you. In my broken down old man body. You had a good year this year. I'm trying to recapture my youth, right? You're the rookie of the year, man. I wanted to hear that unlikelihood quote thrown out on the diamond, and we didn't quite get there. <laughs> well, for us, it would have been the likelihood, because we were the number one team. <laughs> we lost one game in the regular season, and then we were miracled in the one playoff game we got to play. So miracled. One more thing I want to mention about reality here is Rizzo, because he's portrayed as not being able to score. I guess that's based on the actual thing, even though he's the captain and the hardest worker and the one that finally gets it in the torturous Herbie sessions. I play for the United States of America. But it is fitting he scores the winning goal when he could not score before. Maybe he wasn't struggling in reality to try to score in real games they were playing, but the movie shows that he was, and they can actually benefit from the fact that he did score the 4-3 goal, using a defenseman as a screen. Like you said, the Soviets outplayed them. Kind of funny the way that all works out in sports sometimes. But again, it comes back to the any David could beat any Goliath on any given night, yeah. just sometimes by the flukes of bounces of pucks, and sometimes by effort you outplay them. But You just talked about our softball playoff game well there was a play that I've never seen before that if that play wasn't made, we might've won the game. That one single incredible play, which I still have to tip my cap to because that was cool to watch, even though it hurt us. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And you do it a hundred times and maybe two or three times out of the hundred, it actually works out that way. If you try to, yeah. If you try to. They weren't even trying to. So anyway, you got to tip your hat to sports sometimes. It's a shame also that Herb Brooks died not long after the movie was shot in 2003. They shot this in the summer, I guess, of 2003. So you never saw the final film, but as it says at the end, he lived it. The other actor that you really see mostly in this movie, other than Russell and Emmerich and Clarkson, is Eddie Cahill, who was on Friends as Tag, Tag, right? And he is the goalie. Bill Ranford from the Edmonton Oilers was his, quote-unquote, stunt double. He was the goalie in a lot of the scenes, yeah. I don't know if Cahill did pretty much any of the goaltending itself, but he only made four movies, and most of the guys are not actors at all, or if they made movies, it's just not that many. Bit parts, for the most part. Mm, But they're very convincing as hockey players, and that's more important anyway. That is the benefit of playing a goalie in a movie like this, is you can get away with not having to be on the ice because your mask is covering your face. There are some good scenes with him throwing the tennis ball. At first, he's having one ball thrown to him as he's working on his reflexes with his glove hand, and then eventually he's got three tennis balls on the go himself, and he's just practicing his reflexes. And that is Eddie Cahill doing that. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you 100% would do just behind the ring, just practicing either warming up or tightening up your reflexes a little bit. It looked like he was doing it really well, Mm -hmm. too. I was impressed. And he's a major part of the team. He's got more scenes with Russell than probably anyone else does. One-on-one, The whole thing about, you didn't take the test, and I want the guy who didn't take the test rather than the guy who's basically being a suck understandable because his mother died and there's nice scenes with his father too he definitely looks for his father when they win and dad gives him that look hey we did it we did it yo adrian all right so i think the movie's portrayed excellently well as a sports movie i think you seem to agree maybe i think better than you but we're on the same basic page of this because a lot of movies we've covered including the hurricane the boxing's fine but there's not much of it this is a bona fide sports movie it's just a good movie period it's true but then my point now is we're talking about as we often do it now the depiction of the sport and the can you score thing and on those levels i think one of those is excellent the other one the can you score thing not really maybe herb's checkered pants and his checkered (laughs) jackets turn you on you didn't find the swooping hairstyles very brooks-esque tightly curled 80s do's that you see throughout the movie or the tight checkered pants much of a turn on ryan if i was a lady i might like some of the young players i don't know but or the like, sexual movie. weird one woman in the whole film as well. And barely in it. Yeah. There was one scene inserted in, I guess, the montage of them after they've come together as a team. And Every sports movie needs a montage. Montage. And a scene where the three of them are in the shower together and the one guy's just playfully squirting the other two with liquid soap or shampoo or something. 
It's a little bit of a bizarre toss in for. Ooh, I didn't really think. Of. Maybe that's inexplicable way to get reasons. On. Yeah, you just pause that real quick. See some of the <laughs> skinny white guys on screen. Jack off! Yeah. Jack off! <laughs> oh god! Jack- <laughs> I'm leaving you alone on that. We haven't been R rated lately, and I don't think we're on this one so far either. But I that's... dropped a few f bombs in there, so I think we might have crossed that line yeah. already. So go nuts! Finish your song. Jack off! I can't get oh, nuts. You're seeing why I can't do the high pitched notes when we do rock band. How was that beer you just finished sipping? It was as smooth and silky as the Americans against the Russians, right? Okay, and also, did you answer the score question? I say 8 out of 10. Yeah. I'm One of the best sports that. moves we've done in a while, I'd say. Like I said, it felt a touch long to me. but Yes, almost... it is too long. Actually, you know, in thinking about it, this is one of the few movies, even when we've done movies that I haven't really cared for or I've pedantically nitpicked at, often there's one or two performances that stand out, and I think they did a really good job and they're really engaging, even if I didn't think the movie was great. I didn't feel like there were any standout performances no. in this Russell's movie. Russell's rock solid. You get the passion of Herb Brooks and the obsession. Yeah. He's such a good actor, though, and he hadn't really acted that much for a while at that point when he came into this movie, and then again, wasn't in that many movies after this. Now you see him again so much. He's in everything, it seems, and big ones. Yeah. Past and the Furious movies, work with Tarantino so much. I expect him to be good, so when he's really good, if not spectacular, it just doesn't blow me away. It's just again. like an expectation. Again. I... Again, in the Herbie scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the only line he has for about 10 minutes. Again. I was expecting you to pull out a whistle and do that, but it didn't happen. That was going to be the nutshell, actually, at one point. Again. Yeah. I didn't think you'd get it, though, because I didn't <laughs> see the movie before, and I was right. You hadn't seen it before. Again. <laughs> My favorite part of that scene was just the repetitive close-ups of Craig Patrick, as he says, again, and the guy's just yeah. like, no, he's, no more. He's a supportive mother. Yeah. <laughs> But he blows the whistle anyway yeah. because the abusive father... Well, he's about to blow it one more time. He actually shakes his head as if, no, I can't do it this time. And he's just about to do it anyway until Rizzo says, Like a Rizzioni, I play for I did that before, so we get yeah. the point. you got to go, so we'll wrap it up here. In two weeks, it'll be Boxing Day in Canada, December 26th. Yeah. And we won't take the day off because I've got time off then. I've got plenty of time to post a podcast and to finish it up with the editing and everything. So let's cover a sort of Christmas movie because the ending does take place at Christmas time. And also get back on the gridiron as we dig into some football rom-coming Jerry Maguire. I've seen that movie probably eight times. I could watch it a ninth any day. Also, Waterworks time. You had me yet again, Ryan. Very quotable. Three famous quotes in this movie. So many quotes. We know about Show Me the Money. We know about the one you just did. Show me the movie! Yeah, and also the... But you just said to have me at hello? Yep. Anyway, there's another one. We'll talk about that in two weeks. So this is going to be our cruise trifecta. We've had a few trifectas so far. Harrelson, Woody was earlier on, and Costner's, I believe. Costner's, the other one, yeah. So we're on Twitter. He is at Scoring at Movies. I'm at MovieFiend51. We're on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you've been noticing lately, if you look at it, anytime there's things to correct, I used to call it the runs, hits, snares thing on this. I've been putting on the links for the actual downloaded podcast. The pedantry alert, I call it, because we're very pedantry. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. And you can go to the website, of course, top100project.com. That's all, gentlemen. That's also in the Herbie scene. Yeah, that's how he walks it off. I like it. So take your easy dudes and know that you will.